Hi everybody, this is Greg, and here's what you can find in the Popping Collars feed while pretending to listen to your uncle at Thanksgiving dinner in November 2021. Have you ever heard of a movie, show, or song that everyone else seems to love, but you just don't get it? Well, that's what we're talking about on this month's Popping Collars, our personal pop culture disappointments. Hear us throw some verbal stone tablets at some of Hollywood's biggest golden calves. It's a new month, and we've got a new episode of The Canon, starring some of our Popping Collars all-stars. This month, we divide up the works of Meryl Streep. Betsy and I have made it to the end of our 1990 movies on Going on 30. We're wrapping things up with one of the foundational teen angst movies, Pump Up the Volume, starring Christian Slater. Stephen McHale is back on The Sacred Six. This month, he and I discuss the biggest Beatles album of all time, The White Album. How can we possibly choose a favorite song? Tune in and find out. Finally, Liz and Ricardo are back for one last episode of the PC Book Club for 2021. Hear them choose their favorite end-of-the-year reads. Put your feet up, turn the football game on mute, grab one last slice of pumpkin pie, and keep those collars popped. Hello, this is Chris Arnold, and I was the guest on episode one of Popping Colors. Hello, this is Shana Watson, ordained priest serving at St. James Episcopal Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I'm John White. I'm the podcast editor at Episcopal Cafe. Hi there. This is Reverend Eric Matoyer from the Episcopal Diocese of California. This is Kyle Goodman, the lead pastor of Alamance Presbyterian Church. Hi, I'm Richard Lindsay, the godfather of Popping Collars. Hello, I am Holly McHale Larson, pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Oakland. Hi there, this is the Reverend Martin Alfred from Grace Memorial Episcopal Church in beautiful Portland, Oregon, and you are listening. And you are listening to. And you are listening to. And you're listening to. You are listening to. And you are listening to. And you're listening to Popping Collars. 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 And this is Popping Collars. Welcome to Pop and Collars, the podcast that lives at the intersection of faith and popular culture. My name is Betsy Carmody, and I am here in beautiful Alexandria, Virginia, where fall has actually shown up. And it's where I work at the Episcopal High School as a chaplain here. And joining me are my co-hosts. Let's see where to begin. Let's start with Liz. Liz, where are you? What's going on? Hey, Betsy. Um, I'm here in Omaha, Nebraska, where I serve as the canon to the ordinary for the Diocese of Nebraska. And I don't know. The Huskers are having a so-so season. Has it snowed there yet? No, no. In fact, it's still pretty hot. We've had a late and ongoing summer, but you can, the leaves are changing. There's a crispness in the air in the morning. So it's coming for us. Love it. Love it. Also joining me is Ricardo. Ricardo, how you doing? Hi, Betsy. Uh, Ricardo Avila. I am the rector of St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Los Gatos, California. 
uh, there are, you know, the leaves don't change color here much. And I miss that. I'm from the Midwest. Mm. I'm from Wisconsin. And so I do miss that. But um, I think the big change in the weather is it actually rained on Sunday uh, for the first time in, I don't know, two years or something. And it was very exciting. It was, it's a whole different feeling when it's cold and rainy. Yeah. I thought of you, Ricardo, because my students were like, we were sitting around at a retreat this past weekend and they were like, well, where do apples like come from? Like, where are the apples? And I'm like, I thought of Wisconsin. I thought of Ohio. I thought of Michigan. I thought of, you know, you know, apples fall. It made me think of you. Washington state is the apple state. I know. I mean, so many apple producers here. I was sending you a Wisconsin tip of the hat. Thank you. You got it. You got it. And last but not least, Greg Knight. How you doing? Hey, Betsy. Uh, Apple talk. I love it. Apple talk. Um, It's going to be a new side project on this podcast. Apple talk. Uh, Side side pod from the popping colors feed. Apple talk. That's right. Take a bite. Um, Okay. So uh, I am down here in Palm Beach, Florida, where I am the associate for Christian formation at the Church of Bethesda by the Sea. We don't have changing colors of leaves. We have changing colors of license plates when mm. people move back down here from up north. So oh. um, actually, no, take it back. I went to the zoo with my kids the other day. That's the one place where you can see leaves changing because they have to have different kinds of trees. What yeah. is what is plants? Flora, fauna, flora, flora. Flora. Yeah. So they have different kinds of flora for the different animals that are in there. So you can actually see leaves falling out of the trees. It's like the only place in Florida where you can see it, but nice. Seasons change. No. People change. It's very exciting. <laughs> um, we before we launch into this episode, we've got a new distinction here. We have said that we we have a few, right? Maybe we should make a t-shirt that has all of them on you. Know, the longest running Episcopal podcast in history. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the number one Christmas podcast on Pandora. Right. In, and we wait, just got wait, in, wait, wait, wait. What? in December of 2020. In December of 2020. I'm sorry. I got <laughs> the whole title in there. You're right. But we just got this random email that said we are the number 11 spirituality podcast in Nepal. <laughs> you know that? Number 11. Well, that's legit. Wait a second. Should I look? Wait a second. Where'd this come from? <laughs> Did it ask you for money? <laughs> is it from who's who of American high school students? Because that's what it sounds like it's actually from. No, it's, it wants uh, us to buy something. So the email is from Corey. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. <laughs> and hi, Corey. <laughs> uh, Corey, let us know. Corey. Corey says, "Congratulations, you're number eleven in Nepal." Wait, wait, I didn't read this. We're number fifty in Bulgaria. What? Whoa. Y'all, I think we buried the lead here. I think we did. I mean, I have said we are a global podcast with our listeners, but I mean, (laughs) other folks, you know, you know, go to our website, poppingcolors.com. Tell us where you're listening from. Yes, let's see. We can get some other rankings. Yeah, we're on our way to Bulgaria. Um, so our subject today is um, you know, we've all been in those water cooler conversations with friends. You know, the water cooler's been a little harder to get our hands on over the last 18 months. But, you know, like you're in these conversations, people are talking about what they're watching, what they're listening to, TV, movies, music, anything, books, and they are raving about it. And you are sitting there either A, 
Maybe you've watched it, listened to it, read it. You love it. Or B, you have not watched it. And you're like, oh, thanks. I'm going to put it on my list. I'm so excited. Thank you for recommending it. Or C, you have given it a try and you disagree. You tried it. All the hype was there. And it was a flop for you. It did not work. It was a real downfall in terms of your preferences of popular culture. So today we're talking about that pop culture that comes up short for us. The things that other people in our lives may love. It may have caused rifts in relationships. I don't know, but we do not like it. (laughs) So I'm excited. I'm excited to see what we're, I had to really, I did a little workshopping in the dining hall tonight on mine. So I'm I'm interested to kind of see where we all land. All right. Should we go to the bag? Go to the bag because the wheel is. I've been thinking about the bag, you guys, because I introduced my daughters to Scrabble the Mm. other day, Mm. which they hated. Like, talk about disappointments. Oh, my God. They were out of there in like three minutes. They were like, what is this game? This is is terrible. This feels like school. But. I got to tell you, the Scrabble bag with the tiles, like you get really good sound out of it. You do. You could put Scrabble tiles in there. You could go to the Scrabble bag. Yeah. The bag has decided that Liz Easton is going to kick us off. Elizabeth. I was hoping I would go last because I'm still deciding between two, but. I love this because the question is, Liz, what has disappointed you? It's like, it's like, let's interview for pain. That's what this podcast isn't. What hasn't? (laughs) Um, When I was doing a little research today, I looked up like, you know, top rated TV shows of all time or and also like top rated disappointments of all time. And here's the thing I know about myself. I'm really stubborn and there are just things that I do not want to see and I will never see them. I can't explain most of them. Hamilton is a great example. Mm. We have talked about our reluctance around popular things, Liz and I have. Not interested. Reticence. Yes. Exactly. Um, And I think part of it is like the pressure, the peer pressure. I'm like, let's get away from you with your Hamilton. I like to come up with arguments about why it's actually bad. Like, Mm. oh, I don't know about, it seems a little Eurocentric, you know, things like that to make myself sound smart. Just being honest with myself right here. So there are lots of things that I have not seen. The one I want to talk about tonight, today is, um, I don't know if you all have seen it. And I, I really want our listeners to know we are a spoiler filled podcast. And what Absolutely. I'm about to do is, is spoil things. Cause I didn't know I didn't like this until the end. And I hope that that's okay. And it's not even that I didn't like it. It's just a disappointment and a question and a curiosity. And that is um, Midnight Mass on Netflix. Oh, no, I do, I do want to see it. You talk about the thing. You talk, I'm going to walk away. Andy You're come. really going to walk away? <laughs> I'm going to walk away. I'm going to walk away. <laughs> walk What's away the point too, of but... me watching it if I, you know. Okay, so I, Greg I... and I are going to have this conversation. Betsy and Ricardo walk away. Dear I'm listener, Betsy we'll is text you. We'll text you away. when we're ready to talk to you again. All right, I'm <laughs> Listeners, legit gone. Ricardo is legit. They're gone. They're gone. Just you and me, Liz. Here we go. It's just us. Okay. And listeners, you should walk away too. Skip forward until you hear another person's voice that's not mine or Greg's. Um. So Midnight Mass is the new horror show on Netflix. It's a limited series. I don't think there's going to be a second season. It's like seven episodes. Um. And it is uh, directed and written by Mike Flanagan. 
who is sort of known for like a kind of modern domestic horror that is sometimes described as like humanist horror. So he really delves into, he deals with like the big themes of horror, but he also sort of points to this idea that it is actually the normal everyday human aspects of life that contain a lot of horror. You don't need supernatural uh, elements to get there necessarily. And there's always a kind of redemption in his stories. The Haunting of Hill House is probably his most famous. And he also did The Haunting of Bly Manor, I think. Yes. Long story short, really, really beautiful stuff. Like the cinematography is beautiful. They're beautiful elements. The premise is that there is a small island um, that is economically depressed because they were just devastated by an oil spill. And now the residents of this island sort of live in this almost like forgotten time. Definitely there's a lot of poverty, but also sort of a quaint small townness. Um, a kid who grew up in the island goes off to make his fortune in the big city. He um, ends up having a drunk driving accident and he kills a young woman, goes to jail. He returns to the island after his prison sentence is complete to live with his parents. And so there's sort of like a redemption story there. The church, the island has a small Catholic. We're still talking about it, Betsy. I'm going away. I'm going to leave. We'll, we'll text you. We'll, text, we'll text, text you. There is a small Catholic church on the island. The priest of the church goes away. And then a young priest comes back and says, your old priest got sick on a trip to the Holy Land. I'm here to replace him. And then there is sort of this revival that happens in the island through the church that has to do with like healing and miracles. Long story short, it's a vampire show. It's a it vampire show. It is. That's all that it is. Yep. I was really hoping because of the centrality of the church and some really beautiful um, borrowing of religious imagery and language and themes I thought it was going to be a much deeper cultural critique than what it ended up being because it wasn't so much that the show was criticizing the church. It's that the church was just a vehicle to tell a story. Mm -hmm. So I've read some criticism about it that in fact, some people think it was too religious that Flanagan made the church seem too appealing and made religion feel too um, important but I don't think that's true at all. I think it's like a solidly atheistic show that was made a point that religion is actually meaningless. I don't know how to describe it. It was a very, for me, it was a very creepy feeling because some of the things that they did, like there's one beautiful scene of um, an Easter vigil procession where people, this congregation is like walking through the streets of their small village, holding candles singing in four-part harmony, this great hymn. It was very haunting for me to realize this thing that has profound significance to me is literally meaningless. Well, not, not just meaningless, a source of evil and totally. chaos. Yeah, yes, the, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so I kind of agree with you, although I like the show. So I don't know. I liked it too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but definitely cynical. I mean, totally cynical look at religion. You can see that it's kind of like, like this is a proposition for suckers mm -hmm. uh, is, is kind of how it's presented. 
Yeah, it was complicated for me to watch because I liked the story. It was the, per- you know, we recently had an episode on religious horror. It fit perfectly into that. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the things that we talked about in that podcast came up as like food for thought in this. But I thought that the the difference was that <clears throat> they weren't exploring religion in any kind of way that had like any sort of integrity it was just like the the gotcha at the end was like, oh, you're all a bunch of idiots. You're right. all you're all a bunch of um, depraved idiots. And look, look what happened to you. Yeah. No, I mean, death has real finality in this. Like there's there's really no idea that there's something after like, you know, and, and it promotes that in a really kind of, um, you know, pretty a pretty intense way you get you have two characters on the show that talk about what happens to you after you die and it sounds like in that conversation that there's a winning side and the winning side is that's it like you're done and um, the, the way that they explore that is sort of beautiful like the language around that is beautiful so what do you think happens when we die here Speaking for myself. Speaking for yourself. Myself. Myself. That's the problem. That's the whole problem with the whole thing. That word. Self. That's not the word. That's not right. That isn't. That isn't. How did I forget that? When did I forget that? The body stops a cell at a time, but the brain keeps firing those neurons. Little lightning bolts like fireworks inside, and I thought I'd despair or feel afraid, but I don't feel any of that. None of it. Because I'm too busy. I'm too busy in this moment, remembering. Of course, I remember that every atom in my body was forged in a star. This matter, this body is mostly just empty space after all, and solid matter, it's just energy vibrating very slowly and there is no me, there never was. The electrons of my body mingle and dance with the electrons of the ground below me and the air. I'm no longer breathing. And I remember. There is no point where any of that ends and I begin. Flanagan himself is like a a humanistic atheist. Um, So I'm not disrespecting that perspective. I just feel like it was cheap. I would have much rather watched a show that explored those themes without throwing religion completely under the bus. Right. It's like a true disappointment because I was just disappointed that it didn't, um, it wasn't more than what it ended up being. Did you think it was going to be a cult at first? Is that what you were? No, I thought that it would just be a more nuanced. I thought it would be like your typical religious horror where, there is evil within the church and that that need, and that somehow the church or a remnant of the church 
persists in eradicating that evil mm-hmm. at the end of the day. But but in this case, the the church was just nothing. It was just a container mm-hmm. uh, for myth mm-hmm. that ended up being used by a vampire. Yeah. <laughs> when the vampire was in the alb. Yes. The chasuble. Yeah. What the? F- <laughs> what was that? No, I don't know. I found it offensive. Yeah. Not a good look. No. Let's invite those guys back. Yeah, let's get them back in. Okay. This is all I'm going to say. Okay. I I recommend this show. So, like, I do think that you should watch it. I just, what the disappointment that Greg and I ended up talking about was what I felt was, like, a disappointment of potential. Um, I reached back into the bag, and maybe for the first time in the history of Popping Collars, Ricardo, you are second- Wow. Last wow. first. It's unbelievable. <clears throat> All right. Awesome. All right. So what you got, Ricardo? I'm ready. The one that always comes to mind when something like this happens, when this topic, if it ever comes up, like what were you, what were you thinking was going to be awesome and then you thought wasn't that great? And uh, yes, indeed, it is the original Star Wars movie. <laughs> Find out which cell this princess of yours is in. Here it is. 2187. You go and get her. I'll hold him here. Uh, uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. What happened? Uh, had a slight weapons malfunction, but, uh, everything's perfectly all right now. We're fine. We're all fine here now. Thank you. How are you? We're sending a squad up. Uh, uh, negative, negative. We have a, a reactor leak here uh, now. Give us a few minutes to lock it down. Uh, large leak, very dangerous. Who is this? What's your operating number? Morning uh, conversation anyway. Luke, we're gonna have company! I'm Luke Skywalker. I'm here to rescue you. Yeah. Oh, no. Okay, all right, let's be clear. Are you talking about New Hope? Felt a great... Not the Phantom Menace. Millions of podcasts just turning off at one time. (laughs) All over Nepal. All over Nepal. We're going to drop it. It is lost Nepal. Nepal, I got to tell you, if you haven't seen Star Wars yet, don't get your hopes up. So here's why. It's more situational uh, than the movie itself. Okay. So you're you're a young boy in Wisconsin. That's right. So did it come out in 76 or 77? It came out in 77. It lost Thank Best you. Picture to Annie Hall. Good. Annie Hall yep. was better. <gasps> if it was in 77, I was 11 years old, and I was living in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For whatever reason, I ne- I didn't get to see it in its first, like, nine months out. And people were going nuts about it. My friends in school, oh my God, do you see Star Wars? And oh, the, the force, the force be with you, all this stuff. And I'm looking at them, what is going on? And Star Wars fever, right? You remember that? And mm-hmm. I don't, we weren't so poor that I couldn't afford a movie, I think. But it's just for whatever reason, I didn't go. And then I finally went and it was already nearing the end of its run to the point that it was like, there were probably like eight of us in the movie theater kind of thing. And I saw it and I thought it was, I was disappointed, but it, I was disappointed because of the hype. Mm-hmm. I would say 
was there was so much hype about it. It's the greatest movie. It's shattered box office records. There's a whole thing, lingo with the kids. And I went and I was like, I didn't really have anyone to talk to about it. You know, it'd be like bringing up, um, I don't know, Fleabag now or something, which I still haven't seen. But, <laughs> oh, uh, no. That said, however, I found parts of it kind of boring. And I still do. I think I've seen it one or two more times. Like there's like the beginning and then there's like boring, boring, desert, boring. And then there's a cantina scene. There's like boring, boring. And then some stuff. And then the big scene at the end with the jets, you know, killing the Death Star. I think part of me is dying a little inside. (laughs) Well, you obviously have to agree, but, you know, and when the Empire Strikes Back came out, (laughs) probably like, three months after I actually saw Star Wars. Um, that was great. And oh, okay. And I, okay. All right. That was great. And I saw that much sooner and it was just more sophisticated. I, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was 11. And so I didn't know that, you know, all that mythical stuff in the movie, all that Joseph Campbell business and, yep. you know, the hero's quest and all. I mean, I didn't know that stuff. Because Ricardo, I saw this movie because my mom couldn't find a babysitter. So I was born in 74. So she took me to the movies with my neighbor, Will. And like, we saw it and we were like, you know, four years old, you know, and it was, we played Star Wars. Like, I think we were just like, we were not in a place like a sophisticated 11 year old that you were to really critique the film. (laughs) Like I was just like, pew, pew, pew. And like lightsabers and like, oh my gosh. And like, it was also tough. It was tough to like Star Wars and be a girl and to play Star Wars, but it helped to be the older sister. Because then I'm like, I'm Princess Leia. Because it was like one of the few female roles in the film. Or you're a droid, typically. But like that was, I think some of it was the age that I was. But later looking back, I too agree of the franchise. It is not the strongest film. I went with my brother to see another science fiction movie, you know, some years later. And there was a trailer for the upcoming next Star Wars movie. And by this time, of course, it's like everyone's, oh, my God, Star Wars. And there was a guy, and he was a grown man. He was in front of us uh, in the seats in the theater. And this guy literally, every time something, every time something happened, he would say, yowzers. <laughs> and I was like, yowzers, yowzers. And I looked at my brother, I was like, yowzers? And that... That that somehow tainted Star Wars for me as well. Like, Man. The fans would say Bowser's. It's sophisticated Ricardo comes back. You know, he's like sipping his brandy. <laughs> In a Wisconsin movie theater with his brother. I know. Cigar resting. Yowzers. <laughs> Pish posh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, this is rabble. <laughs> Their entertainment. With what what they'll consume nowadays. It's terrible. <laughs> Can you believe he's saying houses? I don't like it when pop culture develops rules that the fandom sort of create for themselves. And then it's like, well, if you violate these rules, then somehow you've affected my childhood or my understanding of this thing or whatever. And it makes you kind of be disappointed in the product because of the behavior of the fans of the product sometimes. 
the word canon gets thrown out a ton in Star Wars, yeah. and I'm not yes. sure why. It's like we're not talking about sacred text. Like, I, it Greg, doesn't why matter. are you further alienating the Star Wars people? Well, I'm just saying, like, liberate yourself from these dumb rules that you've made for yourself with Star Wars. If you want something to be canon, then it's canon. If you don't Harry want Potter. it to be canon, then don't make it canon. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, none of it matters. The The problem that I have with it is that it becomes an idol, you know, it becomes something that people worship. And I don't think that that's the intent. Like, I don't think, obviously, that's not what George, George Lucas is just trying to make an independent movie that's kind of like Planet of the Apes, but looks a little bit better. Like, he's not trying to make a religion. He's not trying to make a belief system. He's just trying to make a movie. And I think that sometimes we take these things and we co-opt them into these golden calves that they're not. And I, I think that, like, we need to say that more out loud to people. Like, it's just a story. Enjoy it or don't enjoy it. It's fine. You know? Right. Harry Potter's the same way. I think especially for, like, the younger generation, younger millennials. Like, it definitely is, like, a sacred text for people. And they will get all whipped up about, about canon. Anyway, so, but Greg, your point that that's actually this isn't why I was disappointed in Star Wars back then, but now I do sort of want some meaning in those movies. I mean, they they, they certainly and I get it. You're right. Just enjoy the movie. Don't don't make it an idol. I I that's actually I think really observe really a good observation. But it toys so much with that kind of spiritual. You know, believe the thing and it will come true. And you know, using the force and and good versus evil. There's a lot of the there's a lot of spiritual stuff running coursing through those movies, and so it sets you up for a lot of disappointment if they don't come through and become just action movies. And I don't know that that's what gets fans disappointed, but I certainly um, I don't know. I, I really like Yoda in Empire Strikes Back with all his little sayings. I mean, I was like, yeah, okay, Yoda, come to town. I'll I'll hang out with you and. And I hear your wisdom, right? Yeah, I feel like it, it hit my family just generationally in like the right tone, you know. So like, my mom was in her, you know, early thirties and was a person, you know, like all, you know, churchgoer and all that kind of stuff. And for me, I love the action parts of it, right? When I was younger, and then the mystical quality. She loved the mystical quality, like totally thought you know, just enjoy that element of seeing that in a movie where you could talk about spirituality and you could talk about force as, and that element of it's not good. It's not bad. It's just how it gets used. And like, she, she always found that to be really attractive. And so I think that's just hit us generationally. Well, like Obi-Wan Kenobi dying and being stronger in his sort of resurrection, he sacrifices himself so that he can then appear and be a, a kind of a guiding, I guess, force for Luke and nice. stuff. Spoilers. Okay, okay. the bag, uh, I've reached into the bag. I have pulled out a B. Boom. For boom goes the dynamite. <laughs> My turn. Right. I am I am interested to see what this crowdsourced. So uh, it was tough. So I tend to be, and I've talked about this on the show, a completer, right? I will... Even if something has gone off the rails, the house of cards, I'm looking at you, whatever. Like I will watch it. 
mm. till the dying day, till the death nail. But but it's like because I was I was I said, you know, I tend to watch and maybe it's because I crowdsource too much of the things I watch. I tend to watch things that are have been labeled pretty good or good and I enjoy them. And I'm not necessarily discovering things on my own like that. I don't feel like that's like I'm a trendsetter here, um, but I, I have I have walked away from The Walking Dead at this point just oh. as a, you know, I, I loved that show. I enjoyed it for a really long time. I visited the city where they film it in Georgia. I've taken like pictures with my small child there, like a big fan. And then they just seem to keep fighting with these really terrible people all the time. And I was like, this is getting boring. And then AMC is a terrible streaming service. So like, I've never finished it. So I'm like, I didn't like that as my choice because it's really, I wanted to pick something that lots of people really like, but, and that I tried and that I just couldn't do it. And that would be, Larry David's Curb Your Enthusiasm. Mm. Hey, Dennis. Hi, Larry. What are you doing? Are you going out? Yeah. You? I just quit. Oh, not for good, I hope. Uh, maybe. <laughs> so sick of it. Yeah. You know. Hey, so the last time I saw you, you said the next time you see me at the club, which is now, uh-huh. to remind you about the $6,000 you owe me and that you would uh, have a check and pay me. That's close, Larry. You saw me, and you reminded me of the $6,000, and I pulled out my checkbook, and I wrote you a check for $6,000. What? Yeah, I paid you at the farm shop. No, no, you didn't. Of course I did. Dennis, you didn't pay me at farm shop. I paid you. I I wrote a check to you for $6,000. No, you did not. You didn't. I would remember that, okay, if you paid me. I remember what you wore. You wore a green sweater, tan pants, blue and white checkered shirt. You had an almond decaf latte and a bran muffin. Now, if I know all that, don't you think I would know if you paid me? Why would I lie about that? I'll tell you what else. I complimented you on that shirt. You didn't compliment me. I most certainly did. You've never complimented me in your life. There was never anything to compliment you about. Ask around and see if anyone else remembers being complimented by you. I compliment people's outfits all the time. You're a bad guy, Larry. I'm not the bad guy. You are the bad guy. You're the bad guy. No, I pay my debts. I just, I, you know, I, I enjoyed Seinfeld. I don't think I am a Seinfeld devotee, like encyclopedic reference to episodes offering quotes kind of person but i enjoyed it even the cringy parts but there was something about curb that i i tried it and it just took things to such a cringy place and then especially as we moved into the world being more cringy and people doing awful things and saying terrible things about people and it not being a zany misunderstanding i'm like i just cannot stomach the show Mm -hmm. and so it really was a few episodes here and there but it has never caught for me Hmm. and and i appreciate his artistic talent and all those things but like there are plenty of real life examples of old white guys doing terrible things in the world that i don't necessarily need because i also there's this the heart of it wasn't there for me i've watched cringy shows but it's just like it just didn't have the heart to it that I that I think c- continues to draw me back as a as a watcher. See, this is interesting, Betsy, because you have come on this here podcast, Uh-oh. the Uh-oh. number eleven. Is this where you play a clip of me? Okay, all right. In Nepal, <laughs> what have I done? And have expressed your love for a show Veep, which feels oh. kind of like. 
a little bit like curb your enthusiasm and its cringiness, but think, maybe I there's different that. levels. I feel like Veep is so deep in the satire. I guess it could curb be a satire of Los Angeles or. Yeah, I don't know. I think the the whole world that Veep creates is just so ridiculous to me. And everyone is a caricature that it's it's otherworldly, even though, yes, there might now be more concrete examples in our political recent history where that seems more accurate. But I don't know. Maybe it's because it's, it still feels like it's somehow based in the reality or the world. And you have a guy whose name is Larry David and he's playing Larry David, but he's not really. And I'm assuming Larry David isn't like that, but um, these stories still come from real life. And, and that was kind of how Seinfeld worked, that they come from these these things that then they just turn the dial up on. So was Larry David, when he was writing for Seinfeld, are we to understand he was basically the George Costanza character to a certain extent? That's I seem to recall that was okay. No one's really nodding. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right, Ricardo. And so I, I think Larry David. I mean, I don't know if it's a persona or his real person, but surely it's he's pretty consistent. It's a little reprehensible, you know. You know, George Costanza is what is he pushing children out of the way when he thinks there's a fire to get right. out of the building or whatever out of the classroom, um, and and yet it's kind of funny. And Seinfeld, and I've only seen a couple episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm, and it does make me squirm. I don't like cringy shows at all. I've maybe seen one or two episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm, but even Seinfeld is too much for me because my personality will immediately think that every person is a good person. So a show like Seinfeld is confusing to me. Like it took a really long time to be like, well, I don't, I don't think these people are who I think they are. <laughs> and in a big way, um, like I love Parks and Rec because it's so sincere, but I don't really like The Office. Even like, though it grew that heart. It, it did it along as, it, as the American version kind of became its own from the Ricky Gervais. Right. UK. I can't really stick with it um, because yeah. it's too, it's too making fun of people and mm. to, I don't know. I just don't really know what to do with that. Yeah. Mm. And maybe I could handle George Cassandra because he's tempered by these other characters, but they're all awful too. I know, but different levels of awful. <laughs> all of this is just to say that my life is perpetually disappointing as I get <laughs> older, especially <because laughs> that like um, that orientation that I have when watching a TV show is true in real life too. Yeah. So when I discover that someone lied to me or did something bad, it's like, I feel tricked somehow. Like well, they- it, often, it makes me think of one of the norms that my students will bring up for our classrooms or other spaces. And they'll be like, assume good intentions. Hmm. Assume that people have good intentions. And I think there's a humanity in the way that Larry David writes. I mean, you could even take this to the Bible and the way human beings appear in the Bible that they are questionable. Like this is the family God sticking with this Abrahamic family. Like what? These people are the worst. And yet we're like, Oh yeah, let's fully on board with a guy who dresses up in animal skins and tricks his, his dad of his birthright. You know, like it's like all of those sorts of things that I find, you know, maybe there's this, it's just so much flawed humanity on parade that I'd struggle with it. I don't know, but, uh, but, um, or need it tempered in some way. So that's why I could stick with the office. The early seasons were hard. 
mm-hmm. I think. And but then it was like, oh, once the show kind of got its footing, and you could kind of see that inside all of this was love for each other in the weirdness of everybody. I should try yeah. again. I should try the office again. Mm. Just you know, maybe skip a, skip a season it. or two. Yeah. So it's down to down to me in the bag. Just one one small little G left Just in the bag. A little G. That's your <laughs> right. new rap name. Little, little, little G. G. Little G. <laughs> that actually is probably already taken somewhere. Probably. All right. So I'm just going to rip off the Band-Aid. There's never been a good Batman movie made ever. Oh, whoa. (gasps) Oh, man. Okay. So, I mean, maybe there has. Does that include Joker? Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, gosh. Whoa. Put it back in the box, Liz. I almost I almost talked about Joker tonight. Gonna head to the bathroom, finish throwing up, Liz. <laughs> Making me think oh. of that movie. Oh my god. Um, no, here's here's the here's the problem that I think is um Batman is a silly proposition. I feel like I've come in, maybe it's the topic. Like I feel like I'm gone, I've gone full parent mode <laughs> with this topic. Oh. When we started talking about disappointment, just like I feel like the I feel like the father, like I'm not mad, just very disappointed, <laughs> you know that kind of thing. But um, but yeah, like my issue with Batman is this: it's a really silly story. Like, it, can we just all kind of agree as a society that a man who dresses up as a bat? to go fight crime on the streets of Gotham City. Like, that's a really dumb premise for a story. Now, the start of the story isn't a dumb premise. Like, I I get the appeal of Batman, right? It's this little boy whose parents are murdered in front of him in a back alley, and he makes it his life's mission that no other child would ever have to experience that again. And so he goes on this vigilante task of saving everyone but it's a very adolescent story it's a very you know it's it's something that you would make up if you were a little boy thinking like i wish this would never happen if i had the power i would never let this happen to anybody that kind of thing and um and the problem with all of the batman movies is that they take this silly premise and they treat it really earnestly. Fear is a tool. But when that light hits the sky, it's not just a call. It's a warning. before you've nothing left. I don't care what happens to me. It's only going to get worse for you. They're given this sort of weight that they don't really deserve. Like, honestly, Batman should be Adam West 
and Burt Ward in the 1960s. Like, that's what Batman should be because it's silly, it's childish, and it should be treated as silly and childish, not as like, here's our great hope who's going to save us all. Because here's the problem here's the problem with every Batman iteration that's come since Tim Burton's movie is that there's not a one person that's going to swoop in and save you. That's not how life works, right? It's a false narrative that we kind of sell. And I think that as a result, what we've created with them is this kind of holding on to adolescent ideas, like way too far into adulthood. And that's kind of what the Batman character is. It's this really adolescent idea that's gone way too far into adulthood. And so the, the issue with the movies is that they're not bad. I mean, I don't, I don't think they're bad movies. I think Tim Burton made good movies. I think uh, Christopher Nolan made good movies. I think Joel Schumacher made good movies. I think they're fine. I just think that the results of having Batman movies come into our lives every five years or whatever it is that they come is a society where we're like, where we kind of treat these things as if they're Shakespeare. They're not Shakespeare. They're really silly. They're, they're really sort of, they're child stories that we're kind of treating like they have more meaning than they deserve. And so as a result, I'm just kind of disappointed in the earnestness that we kind of treat Batman movies. And I may be reacting to the trailer for the new Batman movie, which just looks just as earnest and just as dumb. And I just kept sort of watching the screen and saying to myself, that's a guy dressed up like a bat. Okay. Okay. All right. You're done. Okay. So it's our turn now. Okay. So I saw the dark night with you in San Francisco, right? Did so. we go what we did? We did. I remember did a place with very long escalators mm-hmm. and we watched that movie. Do you think the quality of the Batman movie rests less on Batman or whoever is playing Batman and more on the nemesis and the and the treatment of the nemesis? Because I'm thinking about Heath Ledger in that film, mm-hmm. the time of the world when that film came out. In 2008, mm-hmm. you know, we're then seven years past 9-11 and the chaos ideas and all of those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And there was so much I remember of us walking out of the movie and the reactivity to the reality that the Joker in that incarnation was talking about. Mm-hmm. Then necessarily talking about the Batman character. Is the Batman character really the canvas and then you kind of then you get to superimpose other things on top of it. Right. I wonder if what you said about the like unrealistic and unhelpfulness of like one guy saving people or saving society, like, is that true for all superhero movies or is, is your objection to Batman the fact that he doesn't have superpowers? I think my objection to Batman is that, you know, unlike the Richard Donner Superman, for instance, Richard Donner's Superman is just whimsy, you know? It never treats it seriously. Mm-hmm. It's basically just saying, like, here's here's what happens when a god-man shows up on Earth. Isn't that a funny... Let, look at that funny yarn. That was a great story. And I guess the difference is that the Batman story is so sort of dark 
uh, in right, you know, in comparison to something like Superman or Spider-Man or something like that. It's so sort of dark that it gets treated more seriously or more earnestly. And I think that's what I kind of bump up against is like about vigilance. Fun. Well, the broody, the broody wounded man, the broody yeah. trauma filled man. I think it's given some kind of reality that it doesn't deserve and certainly Jessica isn't helpful. Jones. Jessica Jones is a lot like that, too. I mean, she has superpowers, but it is this like dark, wounded person who then becomes a vigilante, mm-hmm. which, yeah, I can see that that doesn't feel especially helpful for our um, common good. You know, we are inundated with so many of these comic book stories, and I like a lot of them. Yeah, I definitely do. I like watching them. But I think that um, as a result of some of these movies, like Joker, I would add Joker to this mix. I think that the problem that I have is that when we give these stories this kind of weight, it makes our priorities way out of whack. It encourages society to remain in adolescence rather than sort of claiming an adult understanding of, you know, what it was that they grew up with. It's causing a generation to kind of have out of whack priorities in my mind. Well, and especially men, like I hate to say it, but, and there are obviously women who are in all of these fandoms, of course, I'm not saying there aren't, but this sort of like um, perpetual adolescence of comic book characters and to an extent to star Wars and sort of insisting that those persist into maturity when they're actually not um, designed to do that has a bigger impact on male emotional development than female. development. I would, I, I just can't think. Of, and part of that is because the things that women like are mocked and, you know, they'll never get to go that far mm-hmm. culturally, but like, it's not like there are um, my little pony movies, like super dark, like my little pony movies or like, um, you know, I'm just thinking of other things that girls well, are. There's, there's some darkness in my little pony. It's not all, but, but I'm just saying like, there's not an, uh, there's not an adult equivalent. There's not a thing that girls love that, that then the culture supports persisting all the way through into adulthood. Right. It's still treated as childish. At the end of the day, for all of the archetypes that these characters represent and the metaphors of the stories or whatever it is, whatever it is that you get, you know, wisdom you get from sort of comics or graphic novels, you know, these guys have to punch somebody in the face to solve any of their problems. And that's, that's an adolescent idea. And not and not a healthy one. Yeah. And not a healthy one. Yeah. Yeah. This is supposed to be fun. This is kind of a (laughs) Like, come on. It's fun. I like all of these movies. I like all of these movies. I just I'm just disappointed at the hold that they have on our society. Like, I was thinking of um, what was that movie? The Korean movie from uh, Parasite. Yes. I love that movie. The movie's dark, deals with some pretty dark stuff, but in an adult way, right? At no point does anyone dress up like a bat in order to solve their problems. <laughs> I guess I guess that's that's my that's my problem is that more and more eyes are going to this one kind of entertainment. 
And it's like, we have way more different ways of telling stories than just seeing things through this one lens. And we're given that one lens like a lot of weight because it makes a lot of money. But now that we, once we sort of entered into that era of like super dark, like Mm -hmm. exercising dark film, somehow Batman just occupied that space and hasn't left. Yeah. And I'm, I'm picking on Batman, but like you could kind of say this about, I don't know. Cruella. That was similar. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Squad. I, I like that. I mean, I guess I guess I'm kind of back around where Liz was at the beginning of this, which this is a non-spoiler statement, but I'm kind of sick of cynical pop culture trying to sell me more cynicism. Like yeah. it's just, that's that's my only thing. Yeah. So okay. well, so, friends, th- thanks for listening to this real downer of a episode. I'm really glad we all showed <laughs> so up to hear us bitch and complain about things that don't go our way and that we just <laughs> don't like. I'm really glad I came up with this topic. I think it really <laughs> has sold itself. Um, so with a nice, healthy dose of our own cynicism about the things that we consume. But I mean, well, let me, let's see if I can Pollyanna spin this. You it know, it's nice knowing you, Bulgaria. It yeah, was- Bulgaria. I'm very sorry. Bulgaria. Nepal, we have legendary Bulgaria. Nepal, I promise we'll come back stronger on the next episode. It is, uh, but I do think that it is, it is an element of being discerning about what you like that just because everybody loves something does not mean that it has to be something that you love and that you can have an opinion about that and actually be self-reflective about what tone does it strike inside you that is just not working. Can I, um, can I highlight something you said, Betsy, that I think sure. is really important? Sure. Absolutely. Like what you like. Oh my yeah. gosh. That is like one of the most important things you can ever say. <laughs> just yes. Like what you like. Don't worry about other people. Yeah. <laughs> Hands down. Hands down. Well, friends, Thank you for joining us for this episode. You can find Popping Collars wherever you find all of your other lovely podcasts, whatever app it is you're organizing them all on as you continue to be a podcast addict. We know you are. And uh, you can also find us on Episcopal Cafe. We love Episcopal Cafe. We know that you do too. It's a great place for all your Episcopal news news needs. That almost went a terrible direction. I haven't visited the site in a while. It has not changed, Ricardo. It has not changed format. So I just want to say thank you, Liz. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Ricardo. And as always, keep those collars popped. Pop, pop. Pop, pop, pop. You can't always get what you want. Just my butt